0: Welcome to Mint, my name is Adam Levy, and I'm gonna be showing you how the creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow by harnessing the power of Web3. This episode welcomes Richard Chan, co-founder of Manifold, punk owner number 6046, professional NFT degen and smart contract artist. Manifold enables Web3 creators to have true creative ownership, preserve on-chain provenance, and interoperate all major NFT marketplaces. The company is known for building some of the top creator drops in the early NFT days alongside leading figures like Mad Dog Jones, Jay-Z, People Pleaser, Steve Aoki, and Fuck Render to name a few. In this episode, we discuss everything from why he rejected a $9.5 million offer on his punk, to his thesis for the creator economy, why he believes creators should own their smart contracts, and so much more. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Richard, welcome to Mint, my friend. Thank you for being on. How are you doing?
1: Uh, doing really well. Thanks for sure. having me, Adam.
0: You got it. You got it. Exciting time to be alive. Part of season four. Uh, you guys are spearheading a lot of the creator initiatives happening in Web3. So really thrilled to have you on and kind of talk more about Manifold. But before we get started on what Manifold is, who you are, uh, I think a good place to start is how would you get your start in crypto? Okay, give me a little bit of a background on yourself uh, and then your entryway into crypto and we'll take from there and we'll keep going.
1: Yeah, um, I got into crypto maybe about like 10 years ago, right? It was this thing that people were talking around when I was working in San Francisco. And, you know, it was a little bit of an oddity, but one of my friends convinced me to go to the Bitcoin conference. And I ended up going to this Bitcoin conference knowing nothing about Bitcoin at all. And, you know, I had bought my first Bitcoin you know, a week before, went to this conference and just saw the energy that a lot of developers were had, had in this space, right? And, you know, this is early 2012 before, you know, like, finance hadn't really taken grip of of what cryptocurrency was. And it was really just like the hacker mentality of like, here's the cool technology that we all were able to play with. And, you know, coming from the startup world, creating applications that had anything to do with, you know, transactions of the financial nature was really hard. You had to go through intermediaries, you had to have banks, you know, it was just really hard. But with Bitcoin, you know, as a programmer, you could transfer money from A to B without anyone kind of being in the middle, middle of that. And so it really just enabled this like really kind of interesting, uh, wave of innovation for programmers to like really create cool financial applications and so you know i started looking at bitcoin and then ended up kind of being a, a programmer in the space and just creating a bunch of bitcoin apps um and yeah from there went on it, eventually bitcoin ended up turning into crypto and crypto turned into fts and then that's how we're, we're at now yeah
0: so you got your started building on bitcoin that's how you got yeah. started right yeah. and you said what what year was that
1: 2012
0: 2012 Yep. Oh, geez. So you've been in the space since 2012, actively building. it. Yep. Wow. So how'd you make your transition from Bitcoin onto Ethereum? Very Usually it's like either or. That's like typically the sentiment. So how'd you make your transition mm-hmm. comfortably?
1: Well, you know, when, when I started, Ethereum wasn't even a thing, right?
0: Right. Um,
1: I was actually there around the Bitcoin, the Ethereum ICO, right? And I'd actually buy into the ICO because I was like, what is this? It just makes, makes any sense to me. <laughs> But, you know, I kind of regret that now because I had the opportunity. I was there. I was literally right. on site looking like, oh, should I buy in this thing? Right. But I never did. Um, but, you know, Ethereum ended up becoming the kind of like the big secondary chain or a secondary network. Uh, anyway, it could, it could be avoided at that point. Right. And so I actually did a few kind of like smart contract work, you know, before the whole ICO craze and just playing around with things. But I largely panned it until NFTs came along. Right. And NFTs, when NFTs came along. Uh, I was like, okay, this is like crypto's killer application, right? Because you know, to be honest, there was a point after the whole ICO phase where I just kind of dropped off the crypto because I just didn't believe in what it was doing anymore. Okay. Uh, maybe not didn't believe in it, but the applications I was working on just became really boring. It was just moving money back and forth, right? Just looking for new schemes, new different ways of moving, you know, funds from A to B, right? And the technology really just like wasn't exciting from that perspective.
0: Got right. it. Got it. So then, and, so yeah. then, but wait, so you were building financial applications because the, the financial side of, of crypto is very different than the creator side of crypto. Yeah, It's very, like, it's very black and white in my opinion. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot more culture, a lot more class, uh, a lot more fun and magic that happens on the creative side of crypto versus more of the DeFi traditional financial side of crypto. So what was that like that aha moment for you to make that transition versus building like traditional, like, I guess, decentralized financial products to now building Products for creators and empowering creators.
1: Yeah. Well, it goes back to when I first discovered what an NFT was, right? Okay. And so it's actually funny because you know, I have I I learned what an NFT was right after CryptoPunks came out. One well, of my friends was like, hey, the, he's actually the creator of CryptoKitties, which was the creator of the ERC something one. Yeah. So he told me about this project called CryptoPunks, and I was like, what is this? Right. And he's like, I want to make a project like CryptoPunks, but with cats on the blockchain. And I was like, this is stupid, right? Because I had no idea any this <laughs> anything was going on, right? And I told him that, but he went ahead and did it anyways. And then now we have CryptoKitties, air one So it's funny how that all kind of came full circle to me. Um, but, you know, for a while there, you know, like I said, I got bored of just doing financial applications because there was no actual creativity involved with it, right? Mm-hmm. It was more like, how do you move money from A to B? Right. And, you know, I actually left and did another startup in between there, which is, you know, not even related to crypto at all. It was like a Uber for babysitting. Uh, but you anyway, know, it didn't work out, and I ended up going back to crypto just to work with uh, working a few projects with a few of my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I discovered what an NFT was, right at first, it made no sense to me because they, you know, they were, you know, my, my co-founder Eric is the one who sent me the uh, the first NFT I ever kind of like looked at, and he bought this NFT off of Gary for thousand dollars, and I was like, "What did you buy?" Right? And it was just like, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> just like, "What did you buy?" Right? I'm like, he bought this image, but what did you actually buy? Like, oh, this is my very first like, impression of this, right? Uh, and it wasn't until he actually got me to buy one with him that mm. it made sense, right? Because after I bought one, right, I had this emotional connection to this asset that we ended up selling it. It was a Slime Sunday piece. He bought him the gateway for like $4,000 and we flipped it an hour later for like $15,000. And so this is my first 20 minutes of NFTs, by the way. Wow. right? And just this crazy rollercoaster ride, like what just happened here, right? Wow. Uh, what and- NFT
0: was that on NFT gateway?
1: Yeah, so the NFT was, it's called, it was a Slime Sunday piece. It was called okay. Light Machine Part 2. Okay. And yeah, so I, the whole story is I bought this NFT um, for $4,000. It was a one-on-one. And, you know, my very, very first NFT, right? And after I bought it, I told Eric what do do he was thinking. He's like, well, you can do three things. You can hold it, you can sell it, or you can transfer it, right? And he's like, selling is probably the most interesting thing. And I have no idea how much these things cost. I didn't even know why. You know, I bought it for $4,000, and just, just, <laughs> he told me to. Uh, and so I know he had no idea how to price these things, right? And so we sold it. He's like, put it for $15,000, right? And I was like, who's going to buy for dollars That's like, ridiculous. Uh, so we ended up selling it. All right. Okay. We ended up, like, after we hung up the call, about 10 minutes later, I got an email notification that, I, that it had sold. And I was just like, what just happened here, right? And it was funny because my emotional response wasn't like happy, right? I made (laughs) $11,000, you know, 20 minutes worth of whatever work, you know, at work. And I was like, my first response was like, oh no, I sold it too low if someone bought it that fast, right? And then my second response was, I didn't have this thing anymore, right? It was this like, it's an interesting thing where I had this like, this thing wasn't in my life an hour ago. I had it for an hour and it was gone, right? Yeah. But I had developed an attachment to it. An emotional attachment to it that was like very interesting for me to have that kind of attachment to like you know a digital a digital object you know a digital good and from there i was like that aha moment just like clicked in me it was like well you know it's all about ownership of digital assets right and this has never been done before um uh, you know on on this level right and art just made so much sense right and because of that kind of moment there i was like okay this makes sense this is, this is, this is, to me was the the application of crypto that you know everyone in the crypto community was looking for to really bring crypto mainstream and so from there it was like okay i just dove right into like you know what mps were the technology behind it and frankly started off as a collector at first and trying to understand the space and you know at first i started off as a collector just to like you know repeat what i had done and kind of collect things you know because there is value there but as we started collecting kind of more and more works and getting to artists we realized that a lot of these artists didn't actually understand the technology that they were you know, building their, their, their uh, you know, like building off of,
0: right. right?
1: For them, creating NFTs was strictly creating artwork and attaching it to a, a token and then having some other platform sell that token on their behalf. But from my perspective, you know, the blockchain and NFTs is a brand new medium that could be explored that when you combine artwork and technology, it creates, you know, brand new ecosystems and brand new means of expression that can then be kind of packaged and created for, you know, distribution in a, in a consumable fashion, right? So it became more of a consumer app rather than a financial app from my perspective.
0: Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Why do you think NFTs took crypto mainstream more than, I guess, buying and selling traditional assets on an exchange or investing yeah. for, that, for, for the most part?
1: So, yeah, this is the whole, the whole idea is because, you know, when people are buying tokens, right, Tokens are very abstract. The idea of a token is just, it's extremely abstract, right? And the value proposition of a token is strictly is value. Right? And so, you know, when you buy a stock, you don't really, when you buy a stock, it's like you want the value of the stock to go up based on the company's activities, right? So, you right. the token, right? You have no kind of connection to the token itself, right? Especially in crypto, because a lot of these tokens are just like purely abstract tokens. And so, you know, when I was like dealing with like, when I was dealing with like more like, you know, token-based, you know, uh, like systems, it's strictly how do I move money back and forth? I, mean, I had no connection to the money itself, the the mm-hmm. value token itself, right? But now with an NFT, you all, all of a sudden you have, you know, a lot of interesting psychological effects of, you know, one, having a connection to the creator of the token itself, uh, two, having connections to the ecosystem of, you know, other collectors that, you know, you have the shared camar- camaraderie with. And on top of that too, you have, you know, a really cool piece of artwork, you know, or like media that is tangible, right? You can actually look at it. You can actually like keep it in your head, right? You have, you know, when I think about, you know, certain NFTs, I actually like imagine what it is in my head, right? Because you have that visual representation of it. Whereas if you have a token, you're like, what does this token represent? It's literally just, (laughs) it's a piece of data that has an abstract representation. Yeah. So, you know, I think for creating an emotional connection to what these are doing, right, and being kind of relevant in consumers, you know, and collectors' heads is that that tangible thing of having that media attached to it really creates that connection to, you know, these communities and what entities are in general.
0: Yeah. So, in incoming Manifold, Manifold came to the picture yeah. having this re- realization um, that creators don't own the contracts that they issue their projects on. Um, and I remember explicitly, Manifold came on my radar around projects like fuck render around projects like mad dog Jones, really iconic pieces that, that made like set the narrative and tone for what, what NFT drops would look and feel like what experimentation would look and feel like. And it very much came from Manifold's wheelhouse. So talk to me more about like the inspiration behind starting manifold. Okay. It's to create creator sovereignty. That's what, that's your mission, right? That's what you guys are after. Yeah. But what does that really mean in the grand scheme of things?
1: Yeah. So, you know, like I said mentioned before, a lot of these artists didn't actually understand the technology behind, right. you know, what NFTs were. And they would rely on different platforms to kind of provide mm-hmm. that technology and that kind of vision for, you know, what these token, this token infrastructure might look like. Um, you know, at QN, when we first started working with Mad Dog Jones, uh, you know, our big flagship project that really was the startup Manifold was the Replicator. And with Replicator, we really wanted to show that, you know, NFTs could be so much more than just what everyone thought NFTs were. And so, you know, the Replicator is it's a conceptual art piece that can only be expressed as an NFT itself, right? So there's no other medium that you can create the Replicator in, you know, compared to some other, you know, um, compared to some other artworks where the NFT medium is just the image itself. But in the Replicator, the contract actually plays a very important role in running the art, the conceptual art experience of what the Replicator is. And, you know, we, we launched Replicator and then we realized that you know, this was probably one of the very first times that a sovereign contract, you know, had such a valuable artwork attached to it, right? And you know, we ended up selling the the replica for 4.2 million dollars at Philips. and it was a complete standalone, you know, smart contract for the its experience itself, right? And that was really kind of like this, like aha moment of, well, you know, why don't creators really have their own smart contracts, right? And you know, when you look at the ecosystem right there, uh, a lot of these Creators, you know, they had to go through these platforms, right? At the time, At the time, you know, in order for you get, in order to get a drop on like Nifty Gateway, you had to apply to Nifty Gateway, and you know, they had a huge backlog of, you know, people they wanted to that right. people wanted to go get dropped, right? And and really, you know, people creators were really beholden to, you know, platforms at the time. Um, you know, the other side of things is, you know, you have share contracts, right? But the same sort of deal is on these share contracts is that. It's the platform who owns the implementation of these contracts, who owns the token and kind of controls the distribution of the contract, right? Sure. And the whole idea behind, you know, Web3 Crypto was that, you know, you should be able to realize self-sovereignty and for NFTs, what that means to us is creative sovereignty. And so we thought it was crazy that these creators didn't actually own any of the technology that they were selling their NFTs on. And so, you know, we said, you know, we have... work in the replicator, we now had this like base idea for what creative sovereign contracts should look like. And then we end up creating the manifold creator contract um, to allow each creator to have their own self-sovereign contract to mint. You know, a few things about that is one, it increases the provenance of the piece itself, right? Because now in order to verify authenticity of a piece on the shared contract, you actually have to go to that property you know, that, that web property to verify that right. that piece was created right. on that, on that platform. You have to verify that that piece wasn't, you know, a fake on that platform itself too. Right. And, you know, it was really reliant on this external system to verify authenticity of a piece, right? Like, for example, like say, say Nifty Gateway would just disappear off the face of the earth, right? What okay. reference would you have to these tokens that says that this is the right. like, Nifty Gateway token? Right? Got it. Right. And so... You know, our, our whole concept was that the contract was the root of all kind of creator output. And then that could be used to trace verification and maximize provenance for NFTs itself.
0: So beyond tracing verification, beyond maximizing provenance, is there anything that like any other benefit that comes with a self-sovereign contract that you could do from like an experience play that you can do from a composability play that you can do, uh, I guess, from a more experimentative play that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to do if you were launching your product or your project? on a non-creator owned contract. Can you walk yes. me more through that? And I asked that from a very like dumbed down point of view, just to mm-hmm. kind of introduce how you're thinking about this stuff internally.
1: Yeah. So one of the things is that a standard NFT minting contract is just that it just literally just takes an image or an, you know, a link to an image and makes it as an NFT. Right. but you know, as I was mentioning earlier, there's so much more you can do to NFTs if you consider kind of the smart contract as part of the NFT. Um, so one unique thing that Manifold does is that we have a, our contract is called the Manifold Creator Contract, and one kind of like defining feature of it is that we have the ability to install what we call extensions onto that contract itself. And what that does, it creates an application like uh, interface to the smart contract that another contract can then hook into to you know, run different kind of business logic and you know, programmatic interfaces. To that original smart contract to create new experiences, like new NFT experiences. Um, on top of that, too, it also enables like very cool mechanics from you know how they, how these contracts can hook into a bigger ecosystem and be more composable, uh, you know, for the creators at large. And so an example of this is that you know if I had an NFT contract, you know, just standard NFT contract, every time I wanted to kind of do something new, I would have to deploy a new contract with that kind of logic built into it. Um, with our contracts, what you do is you have one base contract that does all your minting that you can deploy another contract that hooks into it that will let you do some things like, you know, sell your NFTs on a website. Uh, we have an extension that lets Nifty Gateway mint out these contracts. So you can, you know, literally sell on Nifty Gateway and have it be minted from your own software contract. Mm, cool. You know, we have other things to do with, like, royalties, right? You can hook into you know, customize royalties from that perspective. Um, and... You know, the thing is that you can create really interesting mechanics once you start kind of creating like multi-system or like multi-contract systems. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the state of NTs right now is everything is kind of, you know, singular contract where, you know, they take the base functionality, encode all the functionality into it, and then that's it.
0: Yeah. Is, is the bet at Manifold that more and more creators will become more technically native? And they'll understand the underlying infrastructure as to what happens behind their projects is the bet more to make it as like no code and seamless as possible so that anybody can come and plug and play. I'm just trying to think about it from like the mainstream creator economy crowd. It's like a lot of creative entrepreneurs, bloggers, journalists, video content creators, musicians, et cetera. And while I believe that the the word creator, it's, it's a very general word and anything, almost anything can fit into that category. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to understand. So how do you guys think about it? Is, is it the, the the bet that more creators will become more technically native, is it a more of a no code play? How are you thinking about it?
1: Uh, it's a bit both, right? Okay. And so you know, if you just take Manifold Studio directly, mm-hmm. Manifold Studio is designed so that you don't have to understand the technology to kind of do what you want to do in the in the web screen NFT ecosystem. Right, but that being said, though we do all of our technology is on the contract level, is open source, mm-hmm. right? And it's open, right? And so, as a creator, you you own the contract itself, and so you can, if you want to go deeper into the technology, you're allowed to do that, right? You know, and our goal is to create tools and infrastructure for developers and creators to kind of push the bounds of what MPs can be, um, you know. But I think the, the whole vision here is that, uh, you know, as a creator, you shouldn't be beholden to any sort of middleman platform or, you know, external, external body, unless they actually are providing value to you. And so, you know, we want to give creators the choice of who they partner with and, you know, their, what platforms they, they want to work with if they are actually truly providing value to the creators themselves. Yeah. And so, you know, I've heard a lot from lots of creators that, you know, they've worked on different platforms and said, you know, at the end of the day, these platforms are taking like huge fees from, from yeah. them, but not actually providing any value. Right. Uh, and so that gets Shout out web two
0: platforms. Yeah, Yeah. right. <laughs> and
1: so that gets there. Right? It should really just be, you know, the creator is the one doing all the hard work, right? And so they should be paid for their hard work, right? And not have to be, you know, have all these like fees taken away from them. Yeah. Uh, you know, our whole goal is to enable self sovereignty, right? And self sovereignty means full control of creators to choose, you know, their own destinies.
0: Yeah. Yeah what's up guys adam levy here sorry for the quick pause i wanted to give some love to our two nft sponsors that are making this episode a reality they are coinvise and polygon studios on coinvise you can create a personal or community-owned social token on ethereum or polygon coinvise also helps you create incentives through token rewards and bounties nft business models and bot integrations for discord discover more today by visiting coinvise.co Polygon Studios is the gaming and NFT arm of Polygon, who's focused on growing the blockchain gaming and NFT industry while bridging the gap between Web2 and Web3 gaming. The Polygon Studios ecosystem comprises highly loved blockchain games like OpenSea, Upshot, z Run, Skyweaver, Decentraland, and Decentral Games. If you're a gamer, builder, or NFT creator looking to join the Polygon Studios ecosystem, Get started today by visiting polygonstudios.com. All right, back to the episode. Makes sense. I want to I wanna get your point of view, Richard. What do you think is a creator class that has yet to experience the full potential and benefit of Web3? We see photographers. Uh, we see, uh, we see, uh, we've see, see, we seen like journalists through mirror, right? We've seen musicians. We see, of course, digital artists and, and artists in, in general. What is a creator class do you th- you think that's yet to be kind of like impacted by... The, the primitives of Web3?
1: I would say more like, you know, the, the, the thing that I'm thinking right now is more like book publishing and authors, right? Because, you know, they're a very similar model, right? So how book, how authors do you work is you get a, a, an advance for your work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after that, you get a distribution, you know, once you finish your work, you have to pay back that advance and then, uh, you know, it's up to the publisher now to kind of do the distribution and promotion, but, you know, they take a huge cut of pretty much every single, like sale, right? Um, you know, I heard that for most publishers or authors, right, they're only making like twenty percent of you know for every dollar for every you know even in best cases, right? And so obviously, you know, that's there's a big inversion that's possible here, where you know the, the funds can actually go towards the creators themselves rather than you know all the middlemen, the publishers and the agents and so on. So right. that that's one thing. Um, you know, music is an obvious thing, right? Right. Uh, you know, I think a lot of the music industry is very like rooted in tradition right and they haven't actually adapted to the new age of you know what what does distribution look like on the internet yeah. and you know i think web 3 is kind of like again inverting that that power the the power of creators
0: yeah. Right. you know i had a the the two-time grammy award winning producer Illmind <clears throat> on mint alongside i think we, we published this episode uh today and One thing that we talked about, speaking about like the industry of of, like the music industry and its tradition is he creates beats, loops, he's a producer. And the way kind of like beat artists, loop artists, STEM artists, they they share beats with one another is by uploading the file to Google Drive and then sending that to the individual that they want potentially using it. And all the terms and agreements are very like scattered. They're they're, like in the email itself. There's no real standardization behind it. A lot of people get screwed in the end and... It got me thinking, like, how can Web3 solve that? How can blockchain primitives solve that? The ownership layer, uh, the verification <laughs> layer, uh, and being able to build, if you buy a beat or a loop on chain, being able to build on that song in verifying ownership from the molecular level as it kind of trickles down all the way to the foundation of what the song is, a beat, a drum track, et cetera. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Like, what what is your point of view on the entire cycle right now of what's happening with music NFTs right now? How do you how do you kind of like make sense of it? Uh, why don't you think it's had as as much success as like NFTs did during the Nifty Gateway era, for example, mm-hmm. when we have platforms like Sound.xyz kind of replicating the edition model, and uh, platforms like Catalog replicating the super rare model, for example? Uh, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, you know, I think I think for one thing is like what does it mean to own a song, right? Like what is the actual ownership of a song kind of get you right? And you know, if we think about kind of consumption of music right now, consumption of music is pretty much free, you know, because you have platforms like Spotify, Apple Music, who pretty much, you know, give you unlimited access to songs, right? Uh, and so ownership of the song is just a completely very different kind of mo- mental model for people to, like, think about, right? And, you know, th- with the art market, we have a good mental model, which is, you know, the traditional art market, like physical art market that we can replicate off of. But, you know, for music, that it's like, It's very disjoint between what does ownership of the song mean, what does royalties for a song mean, right? And how does, I, as a owner of media really benefit from owning a song.
0: Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. One thing I want to talk to you about, uh, Richard. So we talked about the manifold creator Mm -hmm. contract. You guys recently released uh, the collector stats, which I thought was a super interesting tool for a lot of creators because many times they have a bunch of collectors and they don't know anything about them. It's just an anonymous address. But the blockchain is rich with data. Uh, For example, I did this campaign, uh, I guess this drop with this independent music artist. Her name is Queen George. We sold NFT tickets to attend her concert. They were free to mint and attend at East Denver. Okay. And she got about like 150 collectors just based off that contract alone or based off those tickets alone. But these are 150 addresses that she has no idea who they are, what they do. And we were thinking of like, what if there was a way to actually upload like a csv file be able to see how many of these people are in fwb in forefront how many uh what, what nfts do they collect what things or governance proposals have they kind of voted on etc and to really understand on the granular level who her audience is something that spotify and apple music let alone many other applications don't provide that that in-depth level analytics but is free to tap into on the blockchain how do you think about that as creators kind of build their audiences on chain what kind of tools, what kind of solutions do they need? And how does the, the the creator, the collector stats kind of empower that?
1: Yeah, you know, so one of the big things is that we work with a lot of creators, right? You know, I've personally worked with hundreds of creators on, you know, various projects or different capacity. Yeah. And, you know, one of the big things is that these creators are all, have no idea who the collectors are in, in most cases, right? Uh, you know, In some cases they have, you know, very personal relationships with them. In other cases they're just like these addresses right there. And so, you know, we primarily built tools internally for ourselves because we run a lot of campaigns for artists uh, for them to kind of re-engage with their audiences. And what we're doing with these is just surfacing kind of like who these people are that they're kind of within their network. Um, And on top of that too is a lot of platforms aren't actually giving proper stats for Mm -hmm. uh, these creators, because if you think about a platform, one of the big things is that they're kind of focused on themselves. And so, you know, they have stats within their platform, but they don't have, like macro stats outside of your platform itself for who your token collectors are. And so we're really trying to enable, you know, creators to understand their whole ecosystem of of creators or collectors themselves, right? You know, one of the big things about Manifold is that we're very platform agnostic, right? Our contracts are compatible with pretty much every single uh, platform out there. And, you know, this is just kind of the next iteration of like, how do we provide more value to creators to really understand what is actually happening within their, token ecosystems, yeah. uh, you know, I thought that too, the, the big thing is, you know, a lot of creators have no idea about, you know, their sales stats, right. How many tokens have they sold? Right. And we're just trying to surface sort of this information so that it's more useful for them, you know, for example, for taxes or reporting.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. Can you talk more about like the, the level of, uh, I like guess the intricacy of the data that you can collect and present uh, and the insights and knowledge that you, you can kind of capture by analyzing on-chain data. Uh, what are some of like the biggest, uh, beyond understanding how many tokens you've actually sold uh, and putting, I guess, more data points behind your collectors? Like what other metrics are important to recognize as a creator uh, when you're building an on-chain audience?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think the obvious one here is royalties, right? Okay. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of creators have no idea what the royalties are, right? Mm-hmm. They, they literally just end up, you know, have in some cases, you know, OpenSea has their own kind of private system for handling royalties. Uh, you know, we work on something called the royalty registry to kind of democratize royalties and make it really easy for other platforms to figure out what royalties are, you know, but that all the data is on chain, right? And it can be kind of filtered down to uh, creators. Um, so that's, that's like one thing that's like a big, on, that's a big thing. That's a big amount of data on chain that can be kind of surfaced um, with the garden to collectors, right? You know, a lot of these creators have no idea how much money some certain collectors are actually spending on their tokens, right? Right, and so that's another thing, right? So being able to reward their top collectors, their biggest supporters, um, you know, and really just doing something special for them, right? You know, I, uh, you know, myself, I'm always, you know, I'm always very happy once when these creators will reach out to me and say, you know, like, thanks for being one of my early supporters, and you know, I've helped enable their careers and just like got them to where they are, right? And in some cases, they, they've given me like something special, like you know, a physical print or you know, even an MT, right, as like a thank you, and you know, a lot of these cases. Uh, some of these creators have no idea of just how much, you know, some of these collectors have invested into the livelihoods livelihoods of these artists. So,
0: yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Can we uh, can we pivot into talking about the the punk sale and the whole <laughs> the right. whole uh, the whole PR and and fun conversation around that? I had Patricio on the podcast I think last season, and yeah. we we he came on around the time where he made the bid and a lot of the the, the positive controversy online happened. Uh, can you talk more about that? I, I'd love to hear your story on that.
1: Yeah, uh, okay, so I guess here's my story from my perspective, what happened, okay. right? <laughs> And so I, I believe it was a Friday and I was actually doing an engineering interview for an, uh, an engineering candidate for Manifold. And as I was doing this interview, just pretty much all my notifications just started going nuts, like just completely nuts. My like my DMs were going off, my Discord was going off, and my <laughs> Twitter was going off, and my phone was going off, right? And it was like, everyone was just trying to get a hold of me, right? And I had no idea why, right? Just like, zero idea why, right? I mean, I'm in this interview, by the way, too, right? So obviously, I'm going to like take a break and just like, you know, go off the side and see what's going on because like, everything's just blown up. And so then I'm looking at this, I'm looking, right? And everyone's like, go check Larva Labs, right? Like, is this real? And so I go look and uh, I go look and I see that there is a $9.5 million offer for my Crypto Punk. And... <laughs> First, I mean, my, my first reaction was like this this isn't mine right this is not you know like this is something there's something fishy going on here because i had no idea like why someone would do that uh, because you know i obviously know the value of my pumpkin it wasn't 5.5 $9.5 dollars uh but anyway so I, I was a little distracted because i was in interviewed so i you know i explained the situation to the interview and like, i'll deal with this later but then we finished the interview and then i, I we actually had time to breathe and like actually look at it I was like, okay. My first reaction was like, is this a scam, right? If I accept this, is, am I just gonna get rugged in it, like front run by MevBot? But you know, as I was looking into it and actually like looking at what it was, you know, I saw it was from the founder of PoA, Patricio, and I was just like very confused, of like, you know, like why, right? And you know, as I looked into it, I realized that it was because of a comment I, I made earlier that said I would never ever sell my punk, right? Because my punk is kind of like tied to me and my identity, uh, and so. You know, my very first thing was like, okay, so what is, after I assessed the situation, um, it was more like, like, why? Like, who is this, right? And so, you know, I had talked to Prashishio like, once before over an email because he was trying to introduce me to somebody. But I had no idea that, you know, they, you know his background of, you know, where he came in crypto. And so I realized it was, it was a legit offer. I, you know, I talked to a few other people and says, no, this is, like, completely legit. Uh, you know, Petruccio is 100% serious. He's, he's a little crazy, but he's 100% serious with this offer. Um, and, you know, I was left over thinking to myself, like, you know, should I accept this offer? And, you know, obviously it's 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 a very, very respectable offer. You know, I guess it's one of the highest offers for a of good like that. So I actually gave it like a lot of consideration, but it was interesting because I was convincing myself of why I should accept it. Like, my default was to reject. And I was trying to figure out you know in my head the reasons for accepting this you know uh you know and i went through all the scenarios here of like well you know i guess 9.5 million dollars is a big thing right which is just everyone's a big thing but then i thought about you know what i had said earlier was like you know i, I never ever sell this thing and so it kind of like really testing my integrity and making me put my money where my mouth is in in real time and publicly on the blockchain too right which is like really interesting because you know this was there for the whole world to see, right? This wasn't like a private deal where we, you know, he offered me something, but, you know, for that time that money was in the smart contract of the CryptoPunks. And if I would have just went to the site and clicked it, accept, you know, it would have been instantly transferred to me. Right. Um, But, you know, as I thought about it, you know, what I meant, you know, I had built this kind of persona and brand around my CryptoPunk, you know, the three glasses uh, manifold in general. Right. And I became really attached to my punk. You know, it, it looks just like me. And so, you know, I thought about it for a lot and thought about, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's not something I wanted to do uh, to accept it because, you know, I, I just thought of it, like, you know, if I all the memes of people being like, oh, you know, right. says he says he will not sell his <laughs> punk, offered $10 <laughs> million, dollars, sells his punk, and be, right? and I was like, well, you know, I, I got a little bit more integrity from that. You know, I respect, you know, I respect the, uh, I respected the offer, but, you know, at the end of the day, I was like, no, this is not how I want to be remembered or like to sell my punk, right? um and so yeah you know i rejected it and so now
0: now that you rejected it what does that say about you now what what does that say to the community so if you would have accepted you you would have had those types of memes memes excuse me yeah now that you rejected it and you you've held your stance you you you're firm on your integrity what does that say about you now
1: uh i don't know you know i think it's i'm very you know the thing about me at my online persona persona and my real life persona is that i see myself as exactly the same person Okay. Right. I know a lot of people have very external obscenities, but right. I pretty much act the exact same way online and offline. Right. Um, you know, I've gotten to the point where it's like the money was just not a factor in these decisions anymore. Right. You know, I live very comfortably. You know, I've never been about trying to make a whole ton of money. I have my needs met. Right. And I'm able to really just focus on the things that I really care about. Right. Uh, you know, in the NFT space, it's creation, you know, being an entrepreneur and trying to like really build the future. Right. And I think that, you know, one of the big things about Manifold is that the reason why I think we're successful is that each of the founders has that exact same mindset. Like we're not, we're not interested in the short-term gains of how, you know, how can we get rich? You know, we're thinking about, you know, how can we build a lasting company that has an impact in society in the world and crypto for five, 10 years, right? Like we were thinking really, really long-term from that perspective, right? And you know, maybe my co-founders we've all sold our companies before, right? And so money is not the driving factor between all of our actions, right? And I you know I just really wanted to show that, you know, that's part of you know who I am and what I stand for. Uh you know, and I really think that, you know, my reward in the crypto space will come from delivering long-term value to pretty much everyone that we interact with and have, are able to help.
0: Yeah, I love your I love your long-term mindset. I feel like if, if it was almost anybody else, the bid would have been accepted despite the tweets that they surfaced <laughs> online and how it pertains yeah. to their identity. I really, I really commend you for that. I really applaud you to that uh, because there, there is a level of, uh, uh, I guess, bravery that comes with, with not accepting that offer and realizing that there's more than just money to living That's fulfilling it. life. Right. Um, and you've really exemplified that. I'm curious. We didn't really touch upon this. How did co? how did you guys meet the co-founders? What what's the uh, what's the uprising story behind that?
1: Oh, uh, my co and I have we been friends for like a decade now. Okay, it's actually really funny because I used to work at a company in Vancouver, Okay. and for like two years they tried to recruit me to their company to join as an engineer. Uh, but you know, just the timing never worked out. It's it's actually funny because I have an email thread with uh, I have an email thread with one of them mm-hmm. where we play email tag for about two years, right? And it's like, hey, uh, we should meet up, right? And then like three months later, it's like, oh, sorry, I forgot this email, right? And uh, we <laughs> try to meet up again, right? And then, you know, we just like go see each other. And it's just this like really funny thread. But, you know, in the Vancouver tech scene, it's not, it wasn't really that big at the time. So we became friends. Uh, I eventually ended up being my own entrepreneur, right? And then we became close friends. And, you know, we never really had an opportunity to work together. And from that perspective, you know, if they were building their company, we then some kind of cool, you know, talks, with, you know, wind through project together. But it wasn't until like NFTs came around and my co-founder Eric really introduced me to it, yeah. and you know it's really funny because he's like, I noticed as soon as you introduced you to the NFT, you just went all in, right? Like it was like before that, it's, it, before NFTs, I actually I actually wasn't doing anything. I was just like sitting at home playing Zelda all day. <laughs> actually, you know, I, I, yeah. I, i literally was not working, why do i like, find
0: new. it so hard to believe <laughs> yeah, I had
1: nothing I had nothing to do, right so I, you know, I was kind of working i'm on projects but just not really like really really like i guess like driven by the projects okay right and it's really funny because i've been working this project for like a year but you know i know knowing myself if i was actually motivated to do, i could have done the project in a week right mm. but this whole project i've been like just dragging it off not really like working on it but then as soon as NFTs came along, I was like, oh my God, I just like um, dropped everything, right? And went back into like full, full builder full mode, right?
0: Yeah, I love that. What do you think are some of the biggest opportunities that we we have yet to see unfold in the next few years in the NFT world, the crypto world? How are you thinking about the space, big picture?
1: Um, I'm, I'm thinking that the big, the, you know, I think Web3 companies are going to kind of, I would say, earth up the kind of Web2 platforms. You know, like for example, right now, if I think about web three business models, you know, I, in, in web three, I have not seen a single ad right? or no, I guess traditional ad from your sense of like, you know, Google, uh, you know, software as a service is not kind of a, is not a predominant business model, right? And it's really about ownership, right? And I, I think that this is going to permeate to like different kind of areas of, of like companies, right? Because it makes sense because, you know, as a participant in these token economies for, for companies, that I am now able to participate in the growth of the company and the upside of these companies, rather than being, you know, having to pay into these things or be advertised to for, you know, I am the product, right. You know, the, the big saying in web two is that, you know, the consumers are the product, right. But in web three, it's the consumers are the owners, right. And they have yeah. ownership and control in these things. Right. And I think it just makes a lot of sense, you know, from business model innovation for how you can create brand new engaging products.
0: You know my my perspective on that is so yes we haven't seen like ads on platforms like we do on Google or Facebook or yeah. like TikTok whatever. Um, my business model for Mint is I sell ads in the form of NFTs. So depending on which uh, NFT the sponsor buys determines a level of promotion for the season. All revenue has been on chain since day day zero since the birth of yeah. the podcast. And it's interesting because Forbes reported that. Creators are still like overwhelmingly dependent on advertising revenue. They surveyed like 2000 creators and they found that 77% of the creators still list brand deals as their highest earning revenue source. So a form, a form of ads. One thing that I've been trying to think about very intimately and deeply is like how will advertising change on the creator side of things with the introduction of Web3 is uh, someone like Ali McPherson who launched an AliCoin, coin, who's a gamer, Twitch gamer, who has a community of people who hold, who hold the AliCoin? coin. She hosts gaming tournaments. Will the brands now buy into the token supply of the creator versus her doing ads like so that the entire audience wins who's holding the token? Like, how do you kind of imagine brand deals, for example, in the advertising side of brand deals and creators kind of emerging with Web3, with ownership, with all these primitives that are kind of forming?
1: Yeah. So like, you know, one of the things is that with the token economy and the blockchain, you actually know who your, who your customers are. Mm-hmm. right it's all on chain right and the thing is you can reward them like you can reward them directly through kind of you know different kind of incentives and token infrastructures uh on top of that too you can provide you know real world kind of value to these to these these holders themselves right um you know it really depends on the brand right i think most brands have kind of tangible goods that they, they sell at the end of the day right and so you can imagine that you can turn fans from another another economy another you know uh, another kind of platform or, you know, I guess holders of tokens into fans of your tokens. And then you can offer kind of this like cyclic ecosystem where, you know, you're better off by combining forces than just being independent.
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah. Makes sense. Richard, before, uh, before I let you go, where can we find you? Uh, any last words? Um, just take it away. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter, right? So my, my username is just at Richard, right? And that's cool. kind of spelled uniquely. It's R-I-C-H-E-R-G. Uh And then, you know, my company is Manifold. We have, you can find us on Twitter also at, you know, at Manifold, at, at Manifold XYZ. Um, yeah, you know, I think the big thing right now is just really focusing on, you know, thinking about the longevity of the Web3 space. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're still super, super early in everything we're doing right now, right? like these systems for NFTs and Web3 and crypto in general are just still very, very archaic. And it's very kind of like in the stone ages, even though it's been around for like, you know, over a decade now. Uh, you know, we're just getting to the point where, you know, people are thinking about usability and long-term functionality and long-term like thinking in these cases. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that we're just going to see more and more innovation in the space, you know, as more people come in and understand the technology and start building. And so, you know, I'm really excited to, you know, be here at the forefront of, you know, all of the exciting things that people are creating right now. So
0: amazing. And we can find manifold where? at, at manifold X, Y, Z on Twitter. At manifold X, Y, Z on Twitter. Okay, cool. Richard, thank you so much. We'll have to do this again. Uh, but until then, have a good one. Yep. Yeah. Thanks Adam. What's up guys. If you've gotten this far, then I owe you a listener badge NFT. Go to adamlevy.io forward slash poap. That's P-O-A-P and click the respective season. Fill out your info and I'll distribute the free to mint NFT at the end of the season. Also, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast You won't believe it, but it helps me out a ton. And finally, hit me up on Twitter, at LevyChain. I want to hear what you're building, the latest crowdfund you're trying to complete, or if you just simply want to chat. If you couldn't tell already, I love talking about where crypto meets the creator economy, and it's no different if it's coming from you directly. Thank you so much for your support. It means the world, and we'll catch you on the next episode.